All right, well, grab your Bible and uh, buckle up. We're going to get a little weird today. Um, If you want to open to Genesis chapter 1, on verse 26, this now is the end of the creation week, just shy of the day of rest that God uh, enters into at the last day of creation. Here on day 6, God creates man, and we see the account of this in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue and have dominion over it. And he goes on. But we see here that there is now the entrance of mankind into the picture. Uh, it is uh, it is the crowning uh, jewel of God's creative uh, acts uh, in that week of creation. Um, man is made in the image of God, we're told. Now, of course, we, we don't take that to mean that man is created physically in the image of God because we know that God is spirit. Jesus says so himself in, in uh, John chapter 4 as he's engaging with the woman at the well. Um, now, I'm, I am, for time's sake, intentionally sidestepping all kinds of Trinitarian theology, which I embrace. Um, but for time's sake, we're just um, kind of moving through this here. But the idea that man is created in the image of God is not really, again, speaking physically, but rather in terms of his capacity uniquely to fellowship with God, to have uh, both body, soul, and spirit. Some people sort of make a parallel, uh, sort of a triune parallel in this kind of thing. And there's some, I'm saying it's not without some issues, but you know, the idea here is that in the same sense that God is eternally existent as one in being, but yet three in person, there is sort of this uh, attempt at a parallel with man and made in the image of God that he's both body, soul, and spirit. Um, and you could chase that down. That's, 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 you know, there's, there's something to that, but But the idea that we are made in his image is one that speaks of our being in his likeness in many respects uh, by his own creation and design. His intention is that we be uniquely um, created to fellowship with him, to know him, to have a moral sense, to be able to walk in the ways of God unlike any other of God's creation. Um, uh, animals, you know, for example, don't have the capacity to know God on the level that we do because they're not made in his, his image, but man is uniquely made in his image. That's not an arrogant statement. That is just simply an understanding of what God has chosen to do. And then, of course, we could easily just spend the rest of our lives going through the redemptive element of this. God has chosen to, sure, he's going to redeem the creation. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and such. But mankind, again, uniquely redeemed, uh, glorified in his body, eternal, uh, living forever in fellowship with God. Again, the rest of creation doesn't have the capacity that man was created with to have that kind of union and fellowship and relationship with God. And so we're made in his image in those senses, not physically, but in, in that kind of sense. Now, if you will, turn to Genesis chapter 6. And I think here we begin to see something very um, deliberate on the part of uh, of Satan. Uh, and we see here now something very, very interesting. And there are a lot of people, uh, believers uh, included, who, uh, matter of fact, probably more believers than non-believers when it comes to this passage, uh, would seek to understand this in a much more antiseptic, 
um, sort of way than what the passage seems very clearly to be saying. So listen to these words. If you've never read these before, again, buckle up. This is going to sound pretty strange. Um, now it came to pass, this is chapter 6, verse 1 in Genesis. Now it came to pass when the men, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and that they took, and they took wives for themselves of all they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years, and there were giants in, on the earth in those days, and also afterward, interesting, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only uh, evil uh, all the day, or continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had uh, made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And so God, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is a bizarre passage um, at first reading. And again, if this is the first time you've ever really heard that read, you're thinking, okay, that sounds really weird. And it does sound really weird. It is really weird. <coughs> the question is not whether it's weird, though. The question is, is whether or not we are to take this passage as it seems to imply that there were fallen angels or some kind of heavenly beings that cohabitated with women and actually those women therefore bore offspring uh, based on that union. That is what is intended to be taken from the passage. As a matter of fact, that is the most widely held view of the interpretation of this passage up until recent times. Uh, in more modern times, there's been an attempt to sort of, again, make this a little cleaner sounding and make it sound as though it's really just sort of the good guys among the human race and the bad guys among the human race, um, you know, sort of commingled and they shouldn't have and, and, uh, and wickedness spread on the earth. That's not really what's in view there. Uh, as a matter of fact, the word here that is used is one that appears uh, a number of times in the New Testament, both in its straight form, and that term is Nephilim. Uh, the Nephilim are spoken of in places like Genesis 14, Numbers 13. I'm sorry, uh, Genesis 14, I think, speaks of the Rephaim. But in Numbers 13, it's, there's mention of the Nephilim as those whom, uh, you'll, you'll be familiar with this, in Numbers 13, uh, the spies are sent into the land, the 12 spies sent by Moses. Only two of them are faithful, Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 come back talking about stories that they are like grasshoppers in the sight of the giants that are in the land. The giants in the land is the word Nephilim, which is the same word that is used here in Genesis chapter 6 when it speaks about these giants who were men of renown. Um, when we... When we connect some of the dots in this regard, we also see that there are other groups known as Rephaim, uh, Zumim, Ilim, uh, Anakim. Uh, there are all these other connected races of people or labels associated with people uh, who are um, who are also described as giants and are described as being you know, 13 feet tall, in some cases, uh, like Goliath, for example, as one of these offspring, 
um, having, you know, six fingers and toes and, and standing, you know, what basically is equivalent to somewhere between 10 and 13 feet tall based on the size of a cubit, I believe. But this is, again, really weird stuff. And, and, uh, I'll put a, a bunch of links to these things so you can look at this stuff in the scripture, uh, passages that you can look up in the scripture so that you can sort of acquaint yourself with some of these ideas, um, that are here in, in the scripture for us to see. Now, again, as one who takes the scripture at face value first, unless there is sufficient reason to allegorize the passage, uh, these passages are all seem to imply something very literal happening here. And I say that because the connection is with this first incident that takes place in Genesis chapter 6. Now, if you are also so inclined, uh, I would encourage you, uh, I guess I, I'll be careful about saying I'll encourage you, but I, I would uh, suggest that if you are interested in further reading on this, there is a uh, what are what is uh, an extra biblical? It is a non-canonical book known as the Book of Enoch. There was actually three books of Enoch, and I think it's First Enoch that we'd be looking at in this regard, um, where it speaks about the Watchers. Uh, the Watchers ultimately are those who, uh, as um, uh, uh, Peter, uh, Peter and Jude refer to them, who sinned and left their first estate or their abode, and sinned. The, the implication held by many in uh, seen by many in this is that this is a reference to this event that took place in Genesis six, where they left their heavenly abode and saw the daughters of uh, men and cohabitated with them. They did that which was shameful and sinful in uh, in in, uh, in 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 giving you know. Um, having intercourse with the women and, and them bearing children. These children then grew up to be, uh, again, men of renown. Um, I, I, I can hardly resist, you know, quoting Chuck Missler on this when he would talk about these things. He'd say, look, it's one thing to say that, you know, the good guys and the bad guys commingled and they had children and these children were little monsters. Well, we use that term tongue in cheek, but these were actual monsters. These were, these were, uh, giants. Uh, these were people that, uh, when you look at the description of Goliath with David, David, who was probably five feet tall, roughly as a typical Middle Eastern, uh, you know, a Jew of that time, uh, standing up against a guy who was anywhere between 10 and, and 13 or so feet tall, uh, the spear that he held, the shield that he held was, uh, was ginormous compared to like what a typical guy would carry. And so we're intended to see in this somebody who is, is not only huge, but somebody who is also connected to this event, ultimately, as you trace it back to Genesis chapter six. Uh, in Enoch, for example, not to go too far on this, but, uh, but it is interesting reading to say the least. And, and it is, uh, Enoch is a, is a book that is quoted in the New Testament. Actually, Jude quotes it when he talks about ten thousands of his saints. Uh, returning with him when he comes to bring judgment upon the earth among the ungodly. That's from, that's from the book of Enoch. Um, and, uh, the book of Enoch was well known, uh, uh, in, in the New Testament. And the, the stories that it tells describe things that go back to this period of time. Now, the Enoch, uh, or the, 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 uh, you know, the, the book of Enoch bearing the name of Enoch is not the Enoch that you would see seventh from Adam back in the genealogy in Genesis. But this book really finds its its writing in much more recent times uh, in regard to the New Testament. And so it doesn't it, it doesn't have its roots 
in terms of manuscript evidence all the way back, but the stories it tells go all the way back to the, you know, the creation account in the earliest years of, of human history. And so uh, among those stories, among the accounts that are given in there uh, are, uh, or are a list of the names of the angels who uh, roughly 200 angels who were leaders uh, uh, among those who are, uh, there were leaders among these 200 angels that came down and, and committed the sin that we just read about in chapter six of Genesis, where they cohabitated with women. Uh, uh, these leaders are given names. Um, um, there are both good watchers and bad watchers. Uh, the bad watchers are the ones who come down, and as I understand it, uh, in my own reading of it, it, it would appear these are the ones now who cohabitate with the women, and the offspring are born to them. So it is, again, a very, very strange thing. It's interesting, fascinating reading, and we don't know that any of that information in the Book of Enoch is, in fact, true. I, I want to emphasize that. We don't know that that's true, although the book is held in exceedingly high regard uh, among many throughout history. And so we don't discount it completely, but we don't hold it on par with scripture. I share it because it, um, it's just fascinating. It's just fascinating reading. And so, uh, and it touches on this whole idea. But even if we didn't have the book of Enoch, a straightforward reading of Genesis chapter six in and of itself is very, very strange. Why do I talk about this? Why bring all this up? Because I think that there is a parallel between what happened in Genesis chapter six and what is happening in our day today. Um, there are those, uh, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, I really had to pray before this one to make sure I didn't just go off in, in, in already weird directions, even weirder directions than that. So I'm trying to keep it, uh, I find it fascinating and interesting, and uh, but I'm, I'm trying to make sure I keep it somewhat useful here. Um, in, in Matthew 24, as uh, Jesus draws near the end of what is known as the Olivet Discourse, where the disciples have asked him about the signs of the end and of his coming and such. And uh, and as he's talking about uh, his the days leading up to his return, he says this in verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man, or so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. <coughs> For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be. And he goes on to describe uh, some other things that take place during that time, which um, is a study in its own. You'll sip there, but you'll notice that Jesus references as in the days of Noah. Now, it is significant, I think, that Jesus does not specifically mention the cohabitating of these fallen angels, these watchers, uh, and the women that produce the Nephilim. Um, but he does say that things will be like in the days of Noah. So I, I, you know, there are those who really push the Nephilim thing from this passage as in the days of Noah. But I'm, I'm a little on the fence in regard to a literal return of the Nephilim, like there are many who hold that the Nephilim will come, the fallen angels will once again come and attempt the same thing, just like they did seemingly twice. We read in Genesis chapter 6, but you'll remember we also read that not only in those times, but also after the flood. So there was apparently a second attempt, which produced uh, uh, groups like the Rephaim and, and uh, the Anakim and these that were named later. And of course, you know, after uh, uh, the Nephilim themselves are named again in, in Numbers chapter 13. And so there apparently 
presuming they didn't tread water in the flood, uh, again, kind of tongue in cheek here with a Mislerism, but presuming they didn't survive the flood, which of course, uh, it is, it is held that the flood came not just because the world was wicked, but because of the very specific attempt. Uh, and I guess I should have explained this when we we're in it. Um, so before we move on, let me just throw this in here, uh, as a parenthetical, but why, why did the angels do it? Was it just because they were attracted to the women? Well, there's strong reason to see in that an attempt, a very deliberate and direct attempt to uh, to circumvent the messianic line. Now, if you understand that as a tactic of Satan to try and thwart the plan of God of redemption, which, by the way, begins in Genesis chapter 3 as well, right after the fall of man happens, God covers them with animal skins, he begins to present a type uh, he tells uh, Adam and Eve that that uh, the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan, uh, the serpent, one day, and so the the this redemptive plan begins to unfold in this passage. Well, not only do Adam and Eve are they told this, and not only can we read this in Scripture, but presumably Satan also understands that there is something going on here. Now, I would say that that's a for sure thing that Satan knows that a redemptive purpose based on one who will come and uh, reverse the curse. Uh, is something that garners his attention throughout the Old Testament. We see very specific attacks on various people and persons and such um, to seem seemingly to circumvent the messianic line. Uh, people like Jeconiah, upon whom a curse was placed, that God very creatively kind of uh, produces, you know, a, an answer to that, going around that curse and that. And so uh, it's fascinating study in and of itself, but. This attempt is to thwart the plan of God. Uh, and so when, for example, we read the last passage in Genesis 6 that we read was where Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Uh, some have seen in that that what is being intended is not just that Noah was a good guy, that you know he didn't sort of succumb to the wickedness of his age, but that he also was unaffected by this attempt to, uh, to circumvent the, the messianic line. And so uh, you might sort of read that as though Noah was uncontaminated. He was somebody who was not part of, he, he didn't, he was not, he didn't fall into that, that attempt by Satan to, to, uh, to, to thwart the, the plan of God. And so it is through Noah then that ultimately man is, is, you know, preserved through the flood and, uh, and the line continues. And so, um, so that being said, again, in Matthew chapter 24, when there's reference of like the days of Noah, uh, I am, tentative about saying with full-throated endorsement that the Nephilim situation will happen again, where demons or fallen angels, there's a distinction there, but where fallen angels, um, you know, try to cohabitate with women and produce these demonic offspring again and that kind of thing. Now, there are those that hold the view that that will be part of what's going on during that time. And I'm not totally ruling that out, but I just think it's significant that Jesus does not, of all the... you know, uh, bizarre things that are going on during that time, Jesus doesn't name that. And so it, I don't know if that is intended to tell us something or not. Uh, but I just say that it is possible that it could be, but I tend to lean toward the idea that it's not really so much that the angels, the fallen angels will come and cohabitate, but I also wouldn't rule out the fact that something akin to that is happening in our day and will likely play some role in uh, in in the last days as well. 
albeit, again, maybe not spiritually speaking, like through fallen angels, but I, I would suggest that the trans, transhuman and even transgender movements, I think in some ways are quite akin to what happened in Genesis chapter 6, at least in terms of the result, the idea of contaminating or corrupting that which God created to be in his image, uh, which I would say is the other thing that Satan was trying to accomplish in Genesis 6. God created man in his image, and Satan tried to sort of establish another race of people that were not so much in God's image anymore, but were now potentially in the image of these fallen angels and such, a distorted, contorted, um, disturbing image. And I think that those terms could very well apply into our current um, uh, uh landscape as well. Again, in regard to things like the dehumanizing of people through the either the either transgender, but even the transhumanist uh, agenda and movements. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm not going to go on and on and on and on on this, but and we've actually specifically spoken to transhumanism in a previous post, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll include a link there along with some of the other uh, uh, links that were included in that post so you can read up on things like transhumanism and what that's all about, Internet of Body, Human 2.0, these kinds of things. Um, another thing that you should probably familiarize yourself with, because these are things that are, again, happening, not theoretically, but actually moves are being made toward enhancing, improving, quote unquote, mankind uh, to where man could potentially live forever, theoretically. The idea of connecting biology and technology, which uh, I, I won't... Um, I uh, won't shy away from connecting that with the idea of the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset in terms of its uh, technological pillar um, that is uh, that is part of that program, part of that agenda. So the idea of transhumanism speaks of the idea of of elevating man's capacity, whether physically or mentally, um, to uh, a far greater degree than where we're currently capable of. Uh, there is discussion of creating um, biotechnology in people that would sort of mimic something like the bionic man, you know, if you remember the $6 million man and that kind of thing. The idea of of enhanced physical capabilities far beyond normal human capabilities. Uh, there is talk about creating uh, human beings with an IQ exponentially higher than what is currently thought possible. And uh, and so, and then of course, there's all the other various versions of biotechnology that, uh, and nanotechnologies and, uh, and all these things that are intended to basically, um, provide, uh, or create within man the capacity to communicate digitally with, with, um, apparatus outside of himself to produce data and supply data to, um, you know, various receptors that can, uh, quantify this data and improve man even further. Um, the idea that um, nanobots can be inside of people so that if somebody gets sick or gets a cancer or something, uh, technology from with outside of that person can be digitally uh, 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 communicated to that person to begin to fight off that thing or to <coughs> upgrade in some other way. I'm being slightly simplistic, but I'm not really off the mark in what the attempts and what the goal is. Um, it's a much more complicated idea uh, process than what we're talking about here. But this is the idea and the what is believed to be a tangible goal that can be accomplished in time. And so uh, these are just descriptive of some of the goals that are intended. So transhumanism in and of itself is seen as an attempt to improve mankind 
uh, when, you know, and, and I guess I should distinguish the idea of technology that can, you know, um, create an artificial limb, you know, like when the artificial heart was created, that was a, a breakthrough technology, right? The idea that somebody whose heart had failed could actually have a mechanical device put with inside of them that would allow them to continue to live. That's breathtaking technology. Uh, somebody uh, who can have a prosthetic limb connected to a technology that allows your your brain to make your uh, prosthetic arm and hand function like uh, like a, a, a an actual flesh and bone and blood muscle uh, hand and arm and everything uh, or or any limb for that matter your foot your arm your your hand your you know elbows whatever but the idea of 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 introducing those kinds of things to provide someone with the ability to live a more full life that's that's a beautiful thing but there is a point at which it begins to cross over into what the goal is a stated goal uh, where the idea is that we can essentially create a uh, a means through which man could theoretically just go on and on and on and not ever die. Um, now, of course, there's all kinds of ethical and, and practical considerations to, to bring into that. But just for a moment, think about the idea of creating the potential for man to live forever. <coughs> um, again, with all of the ethical discussions in this, there is one that I'll just present that's very basic and simple. And that is that, you know, God has created a man to have a certain basic number of years of life, you know, and then there's a purpose beyond this life. In other words, God didn't create man to live forever. Matter of fact, he was kept out of the garden, at least in part with that in mind, that man would not continue on forever in this sinful condition, but man would live for a certain number of years and, then he would perish physically, but he would go on to exist in the presence of God or not in the presence of God, depending on, you know, the person. But, um, but that being said, that's a whole other thing, obviously, but I'm not, I don't mean to lightly sort of just, you know, casually say that, but, um, for our purposes in this topic. Um, so now we are discussing, you know, and, 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 moving forward with the technology that is moving so fast, it's hard to keep up with all the ethical questions that are involved. Um, but the idea of man living, again, theoretically, forever. Um, so transhumanism is a, is a broad, uh, and, uh, very, very fascinating subject. And, uh, it's worthy of a little bit of looking into because again, we have moved into a technological age where these things are no longer the things of fantasy, but really it's more just a matter of time until some of these accomplishments come to, to light. Uh, some actually have come to light already, but as far as man living forever, one other thing I will mention here, and I did include the link when we talked about transhumanism, and I'll include it again here. There is a uh, video put together by a group that, again, the name, just like it did before, escapes me, but I've put the thing on here. And it's basically a video that sort of um, uh, depicts mankind's progress and, and evolution, if you will, uh, not physical evolution, but the idea of, well, although I shouldn't say it, it kind of is, but um, the evolution of man from where we now are to essentially a, a digital version of ourselves that exists in the universe as sort of a cloud, the cloud, like we think cloud computing, well, converting the universe essentially into the biggest cloud imaginable that we are somehow digitally, uh, informationally dispersed throughout. You know, it's it's a fascinating 
take on things that, you know, realistically, if we lived a billion years from now, I, I doubt you'd ever really get to. But it's just a fascinating thing. And it's also fascinating to think that that's how some people are thinking. Uh, to, to even consider that as, as something that, um, would be maybe attainable in some way, um, is, is a fascinating thing in itself. Well, that's transhumanism. What about transgenderism? Transgenderism is another, uh, uh, attempt, I would say by Satan to distort what it means to be you. Um, there is, um, there is, there, and this is not a new thing. There has been attempts for a long time to sort of set gender aside and, and, uh, we call it gender fluid now, but there have been various other terms for this over the years. But the idea of sort of, um, diminishing any of the specifics that would distinguish you from being a man or a woman and just sort of being a creature that is not really limited by gender per se. Um, now, and by the way, I recognize that there are people that, um, I know I'm not sure what the politically correct term is today, but uh, it used to be called hermaphrodite, the idea that a, a, a person could have both male and female characteristics. Um, <clears throat> it is a very, very tiny percentage of people that are born this way, but it does exist. And so with deference to those who have the inherent, incoherent attempt to try to figure that out internally and externally with all respect to those who deal with that. Uh, I'll continue, but I'm not minimizing the reality of such a thing. But for those who are born with a very specific gender, you're, you're born biologically as a male or a female. There is nowadays a very, very, what used to be just kind of a somewhat fringe kind of a thing is now about as front and center as anything in, in, uh, society right now and in discussion and right there in, in, uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, one of the biggest topics in, in, in our culture right now is the idea of, of switching genders and, uh, not just dressing differently, but actually now moving on to, uh, this is where I want to go with this, the idea of actually having surgeries to physically change yourself from something into something else. Um, that's actually impossible because of your DNA. You're not, you're created one way or another. And it doesn't matter how many surgeries you have, you don't actually change what you are. But the attempt to do so is very, very much in line with what we've been talking about. The idea of no longer recognizing the beauty of how you were created to be, but instead trying to become something different. And in the process of this, distorting that which was made beautiful by God himself. Uh, and I don't hesitate to put it that simply in that way. Uh, we are not our own. We actually were created by God in a specific way for a very specific purpose. And ultimately, our, our ultimate purpose in, in being created is to glorify him. And part of the way that we do that is through our just physical being. Paul would say, I, I've been bought at a price, therefore I'll glorify God with my body. Uh, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm made in the image of God. Again, not physically per se, but there is something intrinsic within us that seeks to be in fellowship and communion with him. And God gave us the vehicle externally with which to do that, you know, which was with which to practice some of these things and to, and to live out a life that is, um, that is able to glorify him. And so when we try to diminish or distort what God created us to be, I think there is a hearkening back to that which happened in Genesis chapter six, at least, uh, at least in, in terms of, uh, of, of a similarity. Obviously, you know, you're not, a demon didn't 
you know, come inside of you and, and have an offspring or whatever, but it's just, but the mindset of, of distorting that, which God created is beautiful. Uh, and whatever, you know, whatever, you know, whether you were born biologically male or female and whatever, you know, physical things that, you know, you wrestle with and struggle with and that you need to recognize that you are beautiful in the sight of God and you were created specifically uh, by him, for him, for his good pleasure, to glorify him. And, and, and from our perspective, so importantly, to know him and to have fellowship with him. Well, this to distort and, and remove that capacity has always been one of the uh, one of the uh, goals of, of of the enemy of our souls uh, to remove us from that place of knowing whose image we were created in and seeking to distort that image uh, to where it can become as unrecognizable as possible. But God is desiring for us to know him and to not be consumed with changing what he made us into something else, but rather to, as we are, seek to know him and glorify him, to enter into that highest and, and most important of all relationships, uh, just as we are. And so, um, so just some thoughts and some connecting of the dots that, again, I told you at the beginning, this was going to get a little weird. Um, so I don't know if it became less or more so as we went on, but, um, but just some things to think about in the days ahead as we try to reconcile the changes that are happening so rapidly, the cultural shifts in regard to biology and, and gender and even the technological uh, advances, quote unquote, uh, that's subject, I guess, but, um, but the technological changes and, 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 uh, and, and knowledge that has, you know, uh, exploded in this regard, trying to make sense of this and understand it. Not all technology is bad. We're not just broad brushing and lumping all technology into that. And, and the fact that sometimes people within their skin feel conflicted about various, um, you know, desires, tendencies, thoughts, feelings, uh, that's also a real thing. And we don't diminish that. But at the end of the day, the answer to these things, the um, the anchor for us as we try to weather our understanding of these things is always an anchor that is rooted in Christ, an anchor that is rooted in the God who created us and who loved us enough to send his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, true everlasting life. As a matter of fact, um, you know, for all of the transhumanism and even transgenderism, let me read this one passage here that um, that speaks of the end that God has for us in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, this is this is again a stated goal of the Lord for all who will believe in His Son Jesus. And I'm going to go ahead and read, um, starting in um, verse um, uh, 50 of chapter 15. And I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. But starting in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ, or the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, this is God's desire for us, ultimately. One day, uh, we will leave behind this mortal flesh. 
and all of its trappings and all of its temptations and capacity to fall, all of its incoherent thinking and capacity for incoherent thinking. I don't say that insultingly. I'm just saying this is the real struggle that we sometimes have in our minds, trying to reconcile things that we just can't feel like we can reconcile. One day those things will all be gone. It'll be done. And we'll have a new glorified body fit for eternity, which is where God wants us to fix our gaze upon, to set our eyes upon. And so, again, just just a few thoughts in regard to some significant cultural trends and how they connect to some things biblically, at least I believe. Um, so something to think about, some things to consider, maybe some things to look into. But uh, I guess, again, for kind of a weird post, I appreciate you watching and listening. If you have any thoughts or um, concerns, maybe, um, thoughts or questions or anything like that, you can always feel free to leave them in the comment section below. And of course, you can email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com as well. And um, uh, I probably should also say that a whole lot more could have been said on all of these subjects today. I, I, I didn't by any means do a thorough treatment on any of the topics we talked about today. But just again, my goal wasn't to do that. My goal was to connect a few dots and maybe give something to think about. So hopefully we accomplished at least that. But Father, thank you for the purpose and plan that you have for us. Thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Even uh, you knew us even uh, in our mother's womb, as it were. You you created us with the purpose of glorifying you with our bodies and our minds, all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. And um, we thank you that you are the ultimate pursued. You are the ultimate relationship. So we just pray that if we find ourselves in a place where we are just struggling and wrestling <clears throat> with who we are, what we are, why we were made the way we were made, uh, any of the questions that so many are wrestling with today, that Father, we would bring these questions to you, that we would ask you and allow you to dictate to us what the answers are and not try to make you change your thinking on why you made us. Uh, so that we can maybe continue down a path that we think is right when maybe you've come out and said it's not. Uh, we know that ultimately we were created by you and for your good pleasure. And this is something that brings great joy to those of us that know you. So I pray for those who don't, that they would enter into that life-giving relationship with you through your son, Jesus, God in the flesh, who took our sin upon his shoulders, took it to the cross once and for all, all of our sin, past, present, and future, and became sin. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we thank you for your great love for us. You don't hate us. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you created us to know you. And one day we have the potential because of the finished work of Christ and are simply trusting and believing in him and that finished work that we know will stand before you. We have a, a living hope because of Jesus Christ having been risen from the dead, so too do we look forward to our own resurrection, our glorified bodies, fit for heaven as you created us for that place to be with you. Thank you, Father. We love you. We praise you and bless you for all of your goodness and grace. And again, we pray for those especially who are struggling with these things, that, Father, you bring them peace of heart and mind and a sense of contentment uh, with where they are, that they might walk with you and focus on that and enjoy that relationship as you've created them too. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen.